morning, and uh, happy Mother's Day. You don't have to wish that back to me. Uh, as a kind of warm-up exercise, I thought I would uh, test your Bible knowledge. Uh, I have some uh, pictures, or drawings rather, of uh, mothers from the Bible, and I'd let, I'll let you guys Tell me who the mother is, and if you can think of it, maybe something unusual uh, in her relationship with her child, or perhaps something she did for her child. Uh, is uh, the first one. Yeah, I think I heard somebody say Sarah. Why do you think it's Sarah? Yeah, she looks old, yeah. <laughs> She was, she was 90 years old when she brought her son, um, Isaac, to her husband, Abraham, who was 100 years old. So yeah, that's uh, kind of not, not your typical. Usually by their age, they should be like great-grandparents, not, uh, not parents. In her case, first-time parent. Uh, something special she did for her son, perhaps. Right? Well, at least one thing I can think of is she had faith in God to give her a son. She, her son was a miracle, a miracle child. Uh, and according to the big book of Hebrews, it was by faith that she had believing God's promise in spite of her barrenness and her age that she could have a, a child. And so you could say that's something unusual she did for her son. All right, next uh, picture. Remember, you have to be loud with me. I'm like half deaf for my good ear. Rebecca, okay, why Rebecca? Right, right, yeah, this is uh, the uh, famous deception uh, by Jacob uh, deceiving his father. Obviously, I mean, these are not the clothing they wore, right? This is like some European clothing from uh, who knows the 1500s. Uh, not what they really were, but yeah, Jacob was uh, deceiving his father Isaac uh, with the help of Rebekah, so that's what she did for her son. She, she loved Jacob. She wanted to make sure he would be the one to receive God's blessing. Unfortunately, uh, she, she wanted maybe God's will, but did not follow God's way, and as a result, brought a, a family... Uh, uh, divide as a result of this uh, act. Okay, Rebecca, how, how about next one? All right, Moses, Nessie gets it again. All right, Nessie, no more, no more. <laughs> Why do you say Moses? Yeah, holding, holding the ark in which uh, Moses would be sent upon the water. I could have been more obvious and picked the picture where she was sending Moses on the water. And yeah, there obviously his mother was saving him or trying to save him uh, by putting him uh, in, in an ark, sending him away on the Nile. Uh, good. Next one. 
I'm sorry? Simeon? Who is Simeon? Okay, so you're, you're saying maybe the mother is Mary and the child is uh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, I guess that you know, could theoretically be the case. Uh, I think in that one, though, I think he was a baby, yeah, so that doesn't quite work, yeah. All right, any other guesses? Hannah, Samuel, yeah, yeah, Hannah was the mom, and she was bringing Samuel uh, to really give him as a servant to, I believe, Eli was the high priest at the time. Uh, and uh, I guess her gift to her child was giving him to the Lord. Uh, all right, next one. I'm sorry? Okay, all right. And how can you tell that from this picture? Uh, there's like a cane. Okay. And there's like a mom trying to hold a baby. With a all right, okay, very good. Yeah, I, I, I thought nobody was going to get it, and it'll be a great introduction into the message. I'll tell you all about it. So somebody got it, but I'll tell you all about it anyways. So, yeah, if you want to, you could turn to First Kings chapter 3. And uh, we will look at the passage behind uh, this story and, you know, see if we could appreciate what it is about the mothers that the Lord wants to bring into the message. Um, so, so, yeah, uh, sorry, First Kings chapter 3 and starting in verse 16. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened, the third day after I had given birth, that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning... Indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, The one said, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half 
to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is the mother. And all Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Okay, so this story has a number of elements to it. The first one is there is a spiritual element that may not be obvious just from the story we read, but God came to Solomon uh, the, the night before or some, sometime before that and asked Solomon, uh, what shall I give you? Ask, right? God was going to give Solomon the king whatever he asked God. And Solomon the king said, uh, give me wisdom so I can rule my people. Well, he wanted to be a good king. He wanted God to give him wisdom so that he could be a good king. And uh, God uh, appreciated that request. He said, I'll give you wisdom and uh, I'll, I'll give you other things besides. But the, the, the story here uh, illustrates God's answer to that request by Solomon, we will see that Solomon has divine wisdom, wisdom that God gave him. That's the spiritual element in the story. Uh, God Is God faithful? Is God able to give Solomon the wisdom that Solomon asked for? And we'll see that he does. Uh, the second element here is the moral element. Uh, we see that uh, these two women are harlots. What that means is that um, they allowed men to sleep with them in exchange for money. And uh, the Bible says that that's not uh, right, that's not God's uh, ideal for us, and therefore it is immoral. It's not following God's standard in the law. Uh, Leviticus 19.29 says, Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry, and the land becomes full of wickedness. Not only is this a sin, but it's a sin that will slowly destroy society. When uh, people stop following God's ideal, God's ideal is this, the sexual relationship belongs uh, between a husband and his wife, right? There's nothing wrong uh, with that relationship, the physical relationship. It simply belongs in the marriage, uh, where the two sides can trust each other, love each other, and raise up together the children that are the natural result of that process. And when that's not happening, uh, as in this case, uh, society starts falling apart. The, the family structure starts falling apart, and society comes down with, with the family structure, something I believe we're seeing happening again today. Uh, now, we want to recognize that... Um, it's not, we, we can't just point a finger at these two women and say, well, it's your fault, right? Because they, the guilt is shared. In fact, in the passage I just read from Leviticus, 
The responsibility is that of the father because he either failed to raise his, his daughters properly or his, he failed in providing for them, right? If they had a good upbringing and uh, provision, right? If the father would provide for his, his daughters, they wouldn't have to depend on this type of business to provide for themselves, right? So, so the, the family, the fathers, sharing the responsibility. Uh, and um, the men, right, that were using these women uh, are just as equally guilty as they are, right? So the responsibility is theirs. You could even point a finger, if you wanted to, at uh, the authorities of society, the, uh, the king, uh, the officers, who should be regulating uh, what's going on in society and preventing this, right? So when, whenever you have uh, this particular kind of immorality in your society, it's not just the responsibility of the women. Many other people are share in the guilt of what's happening and are responsible for it. So that's the moral element. Uh, then we have the, uh, the criminal element. There could potentially be two crimes here. Uh, the first one is the death of the child. It's possible that it was the re result of negligence, um, not, not providing a safe situation for the child to make sure the child doesn't die uh, in this manner. Uh, but we don't know. There is uh, probably some speculation as, as to how the child dies. It's the, the one who is accusing uh, the mother of killing a child couldn't have been a witness because she was sleeping at the time. Uh, we have today what's called uh, sudden infant death syndromes, where a baby just doesn't live through the night, and we don't even know what happened to cause the baby to die. So we don't know that a crime was involved, but potentially there could have been criminal negligence in the death of the child. Uh, certainly child kidnapping, that would be a crime, right? Taking the child from the mother claiming that to be her own child uh, and trying to enforce that legally, as we see in the trial, uh, that would be a crime. So there is, a crime has been committed, uh, and therefore it's reasonable for them to appeal to Solomon, who is the king, and ask for justice in the case. Okay, then we have the legal element. <laughs> How is Solomon going to decide uh, who is guilty or who is not guilty and therefore deserves to have the child because uh, based on the witness of their own uh, mother, the one who brought the case to him, there was nobody else in the house. Uh, the children were uh, three days apart. One uh, would have been a newborn, as I understand it, and the other one would be three days old. Uh, it's not likely anyone except for the mother could really identify whose child that is, especially as these probably I'm guessing the baby never came out of the house, right? Probably was so, such a young baby, and in that society, often women would not go out uh, at that condition. Uh, so there, there's no witnesses that can judge between them whose child this is. And so there is a, you know, how can Solomon resolve this issue? Um, when you have one person speaking against another with no witnesses, uh, that can ask, well, Solomon, because God gave him this wisdom, uh, came up with a way of testing who is the true mother. It's like, 
I don't have, well, today we could do genetic testing, right? You know, we could take a sample from the child, one from each mother, we'll tell, we can tell who it is. In his case, he had another way to figure out who is the mother. And this is, um, you know, would be a test if you were, say, at the park, and you wanted to know, you know, whose child, who's the mother, right? I mean, the kids are running rambunctiously, and you're like, you know, I need to figure out who's the mother of this child is, is, you know, misbehaving. Uh, you know, all you'd probably have to do, uh, not that I suggest you do, is uh, grab the child, right? And the child will probably start crying. Guess what? The mother will show up, right? Uh, and so, uh, similarly, Solomon here will find out who the mother is by proposing to kill the child, all right? Well, you say he's your child, you say he's your child. We'll just cut him in half, right? But he knew, he knew that that suggestion will bring out the motherly instinct. As we uh, read in the passage, right, when he said that, then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. Right? And that is the, uh, the genetic evidence of a mother. Right? A mother yearns with compassion for her children. And so she was willing to give up her child. Right? I mean, there was, in her mind, uh, the real possibility that when she tells Solomon, just give her the child, that Solomon would. Like, okay, well, now we have you know, two happy people. The case is resolved. You, know, you take the child. Uh, and, and the mother would, would be grieving because she lost her child to this other woman. But for the sake of her child, she was willing to lose her child. Right? And that is a mother's heart. And of course, the king that was just looking for that evidence gives the child to the right mother. So we have a happy uh, ending here. Okay. Uh, applications. How could we apply it to ourselves? Well, today is Mother's Day, right? And uh, I, as a father, have what I call a box seat, right, to motherhood. I got to see my wife as a mother, as the Lord has blessed us now with, uh, uh, let's see, 22 years in August. That'll be how long we've been married. Uh, we've been parents for uh, close to 19. Eliana's birthday will be in about a week. A week? Two weeks? Two weeks? Okay. So in two weeks, we would have been parents for 19 years. And, and that gave me an opportunity to see a mother in action. Right? And, um, you know, I've, I've, this is not the first Mother's Day message I, I preach. I don't want to repeat, you know, stories. <laughs> But uh, I remember uh, after bringing the child home, we were living at uh, uh, Buena, what was it? Buena Vista? I forget, in San Lorenzo. Francis, Francis, Via Francis, yeah. Uh, small, you know, three-bedroom house. Uh, we. I think at the beginning, we probably had the baby at our room. I can't quite remember, in a playpen. But, uh, you know, boy, I'm just, you know, flapping this story. But, uh, 
you know, if you've had children, they, you know, some point in the middle of the night, they're going to cry. And very possibly several points in the middle of the night, they're going to cry. And, um, you know, I, I've been blessed with poor hearing, <laughs> especially in my left ear. It's almost deaf. So, you know, if, if I turn my left ear to you when you're talking, <laughs> it's not a good sign. Uh, so I have this trick, you know, I just turn to my right side and I can't really hear what's going on. And, uh, but, you know, Sharon would get up and she would get up and she would get up in the middle of the night to take care of the child. Now, you know, as parents, we've been taught and I think there's wisdom in maybe let your child cry for a while and see if they'll go back to sleep. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Training the child to sleep through the night. But, uh, but yeah, she would get up. Um, and, you know, I'd be so tired. I'd be like, you know, just, you know, let the baby cry and go to sleep. But it can't. Again, it's the mother's heart. It's not just the decibel level, right? It's the mother's heart yearning for her child crying. You know, you guys, oh, big time, right? <laughs> her getting up, feeding you, changing you, you know, putting you back to sleep. Um, uh, another area in which I saw this mother's heart was um, continuing to care for our children when she is sick. When I am sick, you will see me get in bed, right? Uh, but uh, when, when a mother is sick, I guess you could say this, a mother is never sick, right? Because it doesn't, mud, doesn't matter how she feels when her children needs her. She'll be there for her children. And yeah, many times I've seen Sharon's sick, um, you know, herself. Um, I can't remember, but I seem to remember when, when Eliana, when you were with child with Nessia, and uh, Eliana was little, uh, you got to a point where you actually fainted. I can't remember. I mean, just, I mean, just Nessia made her that sick. <laughs> I mean, she just couldn't keep down food, even to the point of water. She couldn't even keep down water. Uh, and, uh, and she would still keep caring for Eliana, even though she was feeling so ill. Uh, again, it's that mother's heart, yearning for your child to the point that you're willing to forget your own sickness, being willing to ignore your own uh, body's needs to take care of your child. A mother's heart. Um, and then probably more recently as our children grow older, because when they were young, they were perfect. You know, they always did everything they were supposed to. Um, you know, a mother uh, wants to train her children to do what is right. right? And, and I do too as a father, right? But when, uh, when I see our children making a, a, a wrong choice, I'm like, okay, well, they'll have to deal with the consequences of their wrong choices. But, um, you know, Sharon's heart, I could just, I can see, you know, how her heart breaks when her children make poor choices. And if she cannot, you know, get the child to make the right choice, Right? Sometimes you can't. You, you need to let them make poor choices and, and learn from their mistakes. This, I think, that's part of, of growing up. You can't, 
You can't force them to make good choices. Uh, but again, that's the difference I see between a father and a mother is just that, you know, heartbreaking over your child when your child is, is not making these good choices. How should we respond to our mothers for, for living in such a way, for, for caring for us in this, in this matter? Uh, the scripture says, Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And then in verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. So we are told we should praise mothers, we should appreciate mothers for the way that they, uh, they live for us, for what they've given to us. Right? Children, you are the fruits of your parents. Everything that you are, you, you owe to them, uh, to your mothers, and her own work should praise her. You should praise her. You should thank her for what it is that she did uh, for you. And so today, we do have an opportunity. On Mother's Day, we're reminded to, uh, to make a card, to send a gift, uh, make breakfast, make dinner, you know, in some way, showing our mothers how, how special they are, how much we appreciate them for what they've done for us. Now, I do want to make a spiritual application as well. That's the uh, Mother's Day application, if you would. Um, it is interesting to me in, in the passage uh, how the, the children of Israel respond. So here they have, they have this king that God has given them. And uh, now it's become clear that God has given this king a unique wisdom, a unique insight uh, into the heart of man. And it says, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The, the response was fearing the king. Why do we fear uh, our kings or, or judges? Uh, we fear because uh, we know that we are guilty, right? And uh, we don't want to be judged or punished for the things that we are guilty of, right? That's why we fear judges. That's why we, uh, we fear king. Uh, if, if we only do what's right, right, if this is scriptural, if you don't want to be afraid of the king, do what is right, and you will receive praise from the saints, right? Kings, rulers, judges, they're, they're happy, you know, to praise you for being a good, law-abiding citizen, right, and doing what's good. It's only when we do what's wrong that we have reason uh, to fear. Unfortunately, uh, we all do wrong. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, uh, before I became a believer, uh, if you'd ask me if I was a sinner, I would say, well, you know, I sometimes do things that are wrong, but, uh, you know, overall, I'm a pretty good guy. And, uh, you know, I do what's, what's, uh, what I think is the good thing and the right thing to do. I mean, that's, that, that would have been my answer to you uh, before I became a Christian. Um, I just thought I was basically a good person. And, uh, and then one day, God opened my eyes 
to the fact that I wasn't actually a basically good person. Uh, my whole life uh, is, is a series of things I've done that, that are displeasing to God and that I was a voluntary part in it. I, I am responsible for the wrong things I've done. I've, I've known what the good and right thing to do, and I chose to do what's wrong. Right? It's, it's simply the truth. We don't, we don't like to think about ourselves like that, but that's what the Bible teaches, and that is um, the truth of my experience. It's just something we fight. Right? We don't want uh, this to be true about ourselves, and so we resist it. Uh, but we're told that God can see through us, as uh, uh, we see in Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, verse 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We, we have to give an account to God for our lives because he made us. Right? He made us for ourselves. He made the world. And he must ultimately judge this world righteously. We must give account to God. And God can see through us right? all these excuses that we have, God can see right through them. And the responsibility we each bear for our own sins. And uh, that's, it's right that we fear God because of that. We don't want that to be uh, the case, yet it is true. <clears throat> the good news is uh, that the God who gave women, sorry, mothers, God who gave mothers that yearning heart for their children, uh, has the same kind of heart that yearns after us. Right? God loves us in the same way. Uh, the verse I picked is that about fathers, but um, we have to recognize just as God made fathers, he also made mothers. And he says this in Matthew seven eleven: if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Even though we are sinners, we saw in the passage these two women were harlots. Uh, we recognize it wasn't just their responsibility. It was the family's responsibility. It was the men who were using them responsibility. It was the authority's responsibility. Uh, we are evil, right? We all fall short of, the, of, of God's uh, perfect standard. And yet, we still love our children, right? As this, uh, as this woman showed, uh, in spite of her immoral behavior, she loved her baby. And she was willing to, to even lose him to save him. And, uh, and, and we love our children. My wife and I, we're sinners too. But we love our children. And we give good gifts to them, as good as we we know, and as good as we can afford. Uh, but then how much more will God give good things? Why? Because God loves us, his children, just as much, and in fact more than, than we love our own children. So that's the, we have the bad news 
the bad news is that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we have to answer to God for our sins. The good news is God loves us uh, as much and more than a mother loves her own uh, children. And we're told in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. How did God give us good gift? How did God manifest this love he had for us when we were sinners deserving of his judgment? In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is one of these words we don't run across in our day-to-day life, but it is giving satisfaction. God gave satisfaction for our sins. Our sins uh, deserve to be punished. How can God be the righteous God of the universe and yet not punish people for the bad things that they do? Uh, His justice must be satisfied. And his justice was satisfied when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. God was fully satisfied with what Jesus did. So now he can be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. How do we respond to this love of God? We, talk, we talked about how uh, you know, we show our mothers uh, our appreciations for them, right? We write a card, we give them a gift, we make them a meal, uh, we, 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 we tell them how much we love them, how thankful we are for what it is uh, that they did for us. Um, but I was thinking of this last case where a mother is you know, besides herself, desiring to have her child receive that, that good thing she has for them. She, your mother loves you. She wants the best for you. And sometimes uh, a rebellious child is just not willing to receive what it is that the mother has for them, that best that the mother had for them. How do we respond to God's best for us? Well, we're told in Psalm 116, 12 and 13, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What shall I render to God? What should I give God because of his benefit? The fact that he he sent his own son to the cross to die for my sins, what should I do for God? And the answer is, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Receive that good thing that God has done for you. He gave the life of his son so that you could enjoy him forever. Your response for that is, I will take the cup of salvation. God sent his son to die for my sins. I will accept that. I will accept what Jesus did for me so that I can be with God for all of eternity. So if you haven't done so uh, yet, we, we ask you to consider that claim that God has upon you. He sent his son to die for your sins. Your response is accept Accept what he did for you and uh, praise him for what he did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you for mothers. We thank you for the heart you've given them uh, for their children so that they can pour out their blessings upon their children, of which we've all been recipients. And we pray that you help us give our mothers 
uh, do praise and thanks for that. We thank you for the gift of gifts of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, given for us so that we could have eternal life. We pray for anyone here who has not yet understood that gift, has not yet accepted that gift, that you help them receive it, take up the cup of salvation, and enjoy the blessings that you have for them. For we ask this in his name. Amen.